Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're discussing 1983's War Games, which is actually much cuter than I just made it sound. But anyways, I'll ask about nuclear weapons, the Cold War, and the adorable 21-year-old Matthew Broderick who stars in this movie. But first, a short word from our sponsor. The Good. Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. Our first guest is the campaign's director for Beyond the Bomb and sits on the board of the Nuclear Fusion Project. I'm thrilled to welcome Tristan Gayette. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. I am four to five times as excited as you are, I guarantee you. I I have so many questions for you, Tristan, but first I wanted to talk about Beyond the Bomb before I introduce our next guest. Um, The goal of Beyond the Bomb, in my opinion, shouldn't exist and sounds like a very silly Cold War era movie. But, you know, alas, here we are, 2021. Nuclear weapons are still out there in ridiculous numbers. And your organization aims to prevent nuclear war. Is that right? That is correct. It's a lofty goal. But I have a lot of job security, I feel like. Um, So we're a people-powered movement working really hard to try and just put some checks and balances on this ludicrous system that we have inherited. Um, Not much has changed since war games as far as the launch process goes, and every president, even Donald Trump, when he wasn't allowed on Twitter, was still allowed to launch a nuclear weapon whenever he wanted. Um, So we're just a bunch of- what a miracle that that didn't happen, by the way. Absolutely. So we're just a bunch of uh, mostly young, younger people, um, lots of college kids trying to do something to fix this. Okay, excellent. I'm glad that uh, you're doing it. I'm glad that your colleagues are doing it. Um, And I want to dig into it. But first, I got to introduce our next guest. Is that okay with you? Please do. (laughs) Okay. Our next guest is the host and producer of the Who Is podcast and Apocalypse Now This for Now This News. Welcome to the show, Sean Morrow. Hey, Ethan. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely, Sean. How's it going? Very well. I'm excited to see what some of the other uh, company podcasts are. You know, you got to have that capitalistic loyalty to your to your brand. Absolutely. I'm loyal to any capitalistic regime. Uh, regardless, I'm uh, a capitalist piggy, uh, just love <laughs> consumerism. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're both under the, the Group 9 umbrella, uh, which you would think maybe would make us like enemies. But no, we love each other's work. I'm a fan of your podcast. I mean, I love, you know, history and biographies. Uh, and, and Who Is is, is basically just, a, yeah, like an audio biography every episode, correct? It is. Yep. Every episode we take a person who's in power or a group or an idea and talk about uh, a biography of their power and why their power is significant and what that tells us in general about the way, why our world is the way it is. Um, With interviews with great experts, uh, you know, trying to figure out why we're in the messed up system we're in right now. So that's why I'm on your show, Ethan, and not Sean's. (laughs) I I see now. Okay. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of crossover here. It sounds like we could be kind of on anybody's platform talking about this. 
this. Um, but but I, I wanted to ask you, Sean, before we got started, like I love biographies and autobiographies. So do you have like a favorite or or maybe you just finished some sort of really great biography or autobiographical book? I think my, my probably my favorite political biography of all time is The Devil's Chessboard by David Talbot, uh, I believe it is. He profiles uh, one of the first CIA directors, uh, uh, Alan Dulles, brother of John Foster Dulles, who's the Secretary of State, and talks about how the CIA was built and why the CIA has so much, such a concerning amount of power in the United States, independent of a lot of the rest of the government, and how this you know guy in the 40, 50 years ago built all that power for this organization that obviously still exists today. Oh my God, I love that. I, it's such a good book recommendation. Definitely going to read that in the name. It's a lot the of fun. The Devil's Chessboard. I mean, <laughs> sounds like a great film too. Yeah, it's, he's quite a character. That's a that's a that's a biopic I'd go see. You know, throw Paul Dano in it or something. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll watch anything with Dano. Get real. Um, and uh, speaking of which. We, we got to talk about this movie. We're talking about war games. I had never seen this movie, um, so I was very happy that it was on the list because I immediately watched like eight seconds of the trailer, turned it off, and I said, okay, I'm in. I don't need to see anymore. I'm psyched. Um, I really enjoyed it. This was, I, I learned three years before Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I can totally see how it spawned that movie. My favorite parts of this movie I think where were the more like typical high schooler scenes, like just seeing young Matthew Broderick deal with his parents and stuff was was uh, really entertaining for me. So, yeah. When did you guys like first see this movie and and what are your thoughts on it? Tristan, you want to go first? Sure. So I was born in 95. Um, I'll just admit that right now. <laughs> but I did watch it fairly young. I think I was probably like nine or ten. Um, and it kicked off a lifelong crush on Ali Sheedy. Um, so I'm really glad it was War Games and not the next thing that I saw her in, which was Psych, where she was a serial killer. Uh, <laughs> makes a lot more sense with War Games. Um, but yeah, little did I know that I would end up here, you know, a decade later. Had absolutely no idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, did you enjoy the film? Did you, like, enjoy your rewatching experience? Yeah, I always really love strategy games. Um, my dad taught me how to count cards when I was little. So Ooh. something like War Games was really interesting to me. Um, I hadn't seen it in a long time until uh, Sean brought up the idea of this podcast, but it was really fun to rewatch. I feel like it doesn't get old. Yeah, yeah, super fun movie. Uh, Sean, what about you? What's your take, buddy? Yeah, I definitely saw it as a teenager as well, and I rewatched it for this earlier this week, and it really does hold up. Like uh, a lot of movies from that time seem super dated, um, but this you know really holds up as a as a as a fun movie. Even though I'm not a high school student anymore, and I don't live in the Cold War, um, I was born during the Cold War. I have a few years of the Soviet Union under my belt, um, but yeah, I never really I never really lived under the threat of constant fear of nuclear war, like uh, you know my my parents did, or even someone. 10 years older than me did. So I could just consider it kind of a, a fun romp. And that's how I've always thought of it as a fun romp. But then realizing that it's not that fun if you think about how partially accurate it is. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There was kind of both things going on in my head. Um, of course, because I'm watching it for the first time and taking notes for this podcast, uh, not just enjoying it. But but yeah, it was really fun. And I agree, it does hold up. The only thing I'm going to pick apart on it, and this is partially because I'm like a music freak, is the music. 
The music <laughs> was mixed way too loud, I thought, at times. And also, I couldn't even tell, like, I was laughing at the beginning when the music first comes in during the credits because tonally, I couldn't figure out, like, what kind of movie is this going to be with the music? Like, it kind of seemed like silly music, but then it would randomly be like a military march. But maybe maybe that is what it was described. Maybe the, the movie is kind of both, like you're saying. Like, it's scary and realistic, but also kind of a fun, cute, uh, rom-com. Yeah, totally. I, I agree about the music. I wasn't sure how funny the music was supposed to be. I was, if it was supposed to be overblown and too much <laughs> or if it's just that that kind of set the precedent that we've seen made fun of so much now that it's funny to us now. Um, right. Yeah, you have to do that when you're juxtaposing these high school scenes of, you know, Matthew Roderick excited to have a, have a girl in his bedroom with, the you know, NORAD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that must be a tough job for the, uh, the composer who got that assignment. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, so yeah, I, I started looking up uh, nuclear weapon research and I just got to tell you guys, I mean, I'm sure you deal with this all the time, Tristan, but like I was instantly scared and, and like dumbfounded. I haven't done this research in a while or, or just like heard about this kind of stuff in a bit. And and I wanted to ask about that too. Like this, what you know, I'm, I'm fairly up to date on the news cycle, but I don't really hear about this issue. Like, what is the current administration doing about nuclear weapons? I mean, is this like priority number 100 or is that just me? So it's definitely not priority number one, unfortunately, um, but we have some hope under this new administration, right? Um, unfortunately, we have not seen a lot of progress on that hope yet, but as Biden is writing his new budget, he has some opportunities here. Um, so the plot of war games revolves around ICBMs, those intercontinental ballistic missiles that are in silos. And we still have the same ICBMs as we did in the movie war games. They haven't really been modernized. Um, and frankly, they don't need to be. There are studies that have shown that we still have probably another 20 years on them, or um, the studies that I like better show that we're actually probably safer without a land-based leg of our nuclear triad. Um, but right now, the Pentagon is poised to spend about $300 billion on modernizing those ICBMs oh my God. Um, over the course of that project. So we could stop that right here and right now. Um, what does modernizing mean in the sense of like who's who's getting the who's benefiting from that who's getting who's getting that money is that money going to to, to defense contractors what does modernizing mean because it seems like we have the weapons are there if, if we need yeah, them, are we they putting like them. touch screens on them well they very recently moved away from floppy disks um, so i don't think we're even like moving that far in the future what they're really wanting to modernize is the plutonium pits, um, so the parts that really make things go boom, um, and some of the other the components and pieces for sure. But overall, what they don't tell you is that system is called the nuclear sponge because it's meant to soak up an attack. They put those weapons in states specifically away from places like Washington, D.C. and New York City so that they could soak up an incoming attack from Russia. So it's really hard to sell something if you know what that's for. And I'm amazed that they've gotten away with calling it the nuclear sponge for so long and nobody has said like, hold on, the hell is this? Just because I live in Montana doesn't mean that I wanna be the first strike. And I, I, I gotta ask about the money because that, I, I read that we spend 25 billion a year on nuclear weapons. So first of all, 
Is that accurate? So there are a ton of different numbers. Um, part of the problem with trying to define like how much we spend on nuclear weapons is that, I mean, you can count what we spend on the Air Force for people sitting in the silos. Do their salaries count for that? You know, is it just what we're building to spend them? Um, but a figure that I really like that makes it easy for me to understand is that this year we are spending $1,200 every minute and a half on nuclear weapons. So that first stimulus check every minute and a half on our nuclear weapons. Yeah, when you put it like that, it's just so embarrassing and sad that we are, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't seen the numbers on this. Maybe you know more than I do. Well, you definitely know more than I do. It's a low bar, but I can't imagine that there's people in the United States that would support all of this money going to nuclear weapon, you know, either keeping them or or developing them or like you're saying, modernizing them, whatever the hell that means. I just can't imagine that it's like a popular issue. You know, it must poll really poorly. Right. So it's not something that everyday people feel like they a have an opinion or B should have an opinion on because a lot of the times people feel like they don't know enough to have an opinion. And if the military or the government is telling them, then, well, maybe we should trust them. Which my opinion is that you never trust the government. <laughs> but outside of that, um, there is something called the Iron Triangle. And that's really what you're, you're getting at, Ethan. So Northrop Grumman got a sole source contract for this modernization. So they get basically all of the money that's going to go towards this project. Um, and there are very few companies that do things like this. You know, there's Northrop Grumman, there's Raytheon, there's Boeing. Um, but those same people then either hire directly from Congress or leave these companies to go work in Congress. And it's just a revolving door. So they're creating the contracts and they're awarding them to their friends. And then those friends are giving them money when they run for Congress. And it just lather, rinses, repeats. Not to the benefit of any of us down here at the ground level. Wow. Is Why do they call it the Iron Triangle? Is there, is there a reason for that? I mean, that's another, you know, kind of uh, the devil's chessboard type name. You know, that's, that's hooking me in. I'm kind of guessing here, but my guess is going to be that it is so hard to break up because it's, at this point, the money is so intrinsically involved in so many of these people. I think personally term limits or, you know, limiting who can work for lobbying firms or, you know, things like mm. that would be really helpful across the board on these problems. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that Raytheon is part of this because I always see that building when I go to the airport and in my head, I'm just thinking like, this has got to be some sort of evil organization. I don't know what they do, but now that you're telling me that. There's just something about their building that's scary looking. I've seen it. <laughs> It's very self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That building is like, it's like the computer in this movie. It's like teaching itself to <laughs> combat us somehow. Right. Funny enough, um, there was supposed to be a Minuteman missile test uh, over the weekend. And for some reason, uh, the missile shut itself off in the silo and the launch wow. didn't go through. So I, I, I don't think they've released the reasonings for that yet. And they might never. But just like in preparation for this podcast, that happened. And I'm like, maybe they are. Maybe they're getting smarter. And I'm not sure that's good for us. That, that, that brings up something I wanted to ask about because I remember, I don't remember where I said, if it was in a documentary years ago or, or in something I was reading, but I, I, I wrote down the note while I was watching the movie about just the storage and the, you know, like potential for human error that can take place 
with these nuclear weapons. So can can you talk to me a little bit about that or, you know, if there's been uh, close calls in the past or, or mistakes? Because I, I remember just being floored at the fact that it's just regular old, no offense, but schmucky Americans that are taking care of nuclear weapons. Like just how like you or I might forget to record in an interview or something. They're just people that can make a human error at, at work. Yeah, which is kind of how the movie started too, right? Like it's two guys that are, you know, assigned to turn the key and launch a nuclear weapon and one of them gets cold feet uh, or cold war feet, I should say. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that because it's really stupid. But, uh, you know, you, you get my point here. Yeah, that's actually one of the most like realistic parts of the movie. I'm so glad that they started it out that way because so currently... Um, the people sitting in those silos, the Minutemen in the silos, they're not like they're, they don't see the news. They're not exposed to the outside world. Those people didn't know 9-11 happened until they got off. Um, so if they receive a alert, if they receive that order, they're going to assume it's a lawful order. And there's actually five crews. So it only takes um, two crews to launch. So four out of the five would have to disobey the order. Um, eight people, eight human beings out of 10 would have to say, something is wrong, this is crazy. And you saw it, that guy almost got shot because the people in those silos thought, they didn't realize that it was a test. Um, so specifically, our process is set up to make it really, really hard for anybody to say no. Um, but we have had a ton of accidents. Uh, the United States calls them broken arrows because it sounds better than oh shit, we lost a nuclear weapon over Goldsboro, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, a broken era sounds like such a small it deal. It so much cooler, too. <laughs> yeah, like, that's true. And nuclear mishap, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and they admit to Oops. 30 of them, six of which have never been recovered. So who knows how many they're not admitting to, but there's Wait, 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 six... sorry to stop you. What do you mean not recovered? I mean, there are six United States nuclear weapons floating around out there floating around I'm, they're probably at the bottom of the ocean maybe i oh i don't know yeah just completely i don't know i'm not on a treasure wow. hunt for lost nuclear weapons um but yeah wow. six of them have not been uh recovered could be anywhere that's so bad kind of like what you were saying sean like relating it to human error like if you lose your wallet, that sucks, right? Like, okay, <laughs> it happens to everybody, that sucks. But if you like, if you lose it and you don't find it, like typically you find it pretty, like it, within an hour, you're like, oh yeah, I left it at the place I was fixing my car. Okay, whatever, I messed up, let me go back and let me get my wallet. But if you just don't <laughs> recover it ever, that's so embarrassing. You are like, that's <laughs> truly, that sucks. But when you drop your wallet, Ethan, you don't have like seven switches preventing it from exploding, of which over half failed, which has also happened. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Um, okay, so I'm going to let's hear a word from our sponsor once again, and then we'll be right back. And I want to find out uh, more about our failures as a nation. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. Okay, we're back after that wonderful word from sponsor and that amazing teaser I just gave out. So when we left off, um, Tristan, you were blowing our minds and telling us about 
six nukes that have just gone missing. Uh, so by the way, if you're listening to this, keep an eye out, maybe uh, check your backyard or like, you know, if you go to play soccer in like a big field and you see something weird. Break out the metal detector. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's a reward. <laughs> what do you think the reward is for finding a nuclear weapon that's gone missing? I mean, assuming you uh, survive your questioning by the FBI, uh, mm-hmm. which maybe you probably won't. You get some kind of medal. Um, if we hear from you again, you get a medal or something. Uh, yeah, actually, that's a really good point because if you think about it, they, I'm sure, would want to keep you quiet. Like, if you found a mm-hmm. nuclear weapon, like I would be too scared probably to to tell anybody about it because I'd be like, okay, if this is just missing, they're going to be so embarrassed they're not going to let me talk about this or like assume that you had had something to do with it for longer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you've known it was there i'm definitely not calling the u.s government first i'm I'm seeing like hey justin trudeau you want to you want to make a deal here (gasps) you're going for the highest bidder that's smart (laughs) you are you really are a capitalist (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and by the way that won't piss off the u.s government at all that you just completely (laughs) go past them (laughs) to other nations that's cool see who's gonna give me the best deal like maybe if you were responsible with your nuclear weapons, I would give it back to you. But clearly you're not, so we're gonna rehome this. We're the only ones that have ever used them. So I can blow your mind further, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, because this is like driving me crazy, and I love it. Okay, so imagine the most boring job you could ever have. It's sitting in a silo, watching these missiles that we haven't used in 75 years, right? Okay. Um, you also work for the Air Force. Uh, you've got a really hard job, so naturally to relax. While you are working, you just do some LSD or smoke a joint. Oh, my God, no. Both of these things have happened. Wow, because they're just sitting there. Oh, yes. So, of course, they're going to, yeah. And and this was found out, like, with a drug test or did or was it because, and this is just my educated guess here, there was an error or something went wrong. And then, like, in the investigation, it was found out. I believe someone snitched most recently. Mm. Um, this has happened a couple of times, not even in the distant past. Wow. Um, but I mean, to be fair, I'd probably snitch too if, yeah. if my, my bunker buddy was tripping on LSD. It's like, do That's what you want to okay. do. D- drugs are, you know, drugs are fun. Do what you want to do unless you're that guy. Then that, that, that guy doesn't get to do drugs. Sorry. Right. Like, don't ruin it for the rest of us, buddy. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I just there's so many parallels to just us as like, I don't want to say normal, but like, yeah, just just people with more regular jobs. And then there should be this huge separation uh, between us and people with these jobs where it's like, okay, you're at high level classified security, tons of responsibility. But but they're just the same as us. They're just like you're saying, yeah, just bored, sitting in a silo. They don't even have Netflix or the internet or whatever. So it's like, of course, they're gonna they're gonna try to keep themselves entertained somehow and potentially blow up Montana. Sorry, Montana. Yeah, sorry, we're picking on you today, but uh, but hey, blame the government. To be fair, it sounds like your governor. It sounds like the Montana governor is not the greatest guy. So maybe they can evacuate Montana prior to that and then access their federal unemployment benefits while in another state. These these small states, everyone says like the reason the Senate exists is for the right of the small states. If I was from a small state, one of my first things would be like, no, don't draw all the nuclear fire here, please. <laughs> right, yeah. So the biggest argument is always the jobs, 
right? It's, oh, okay, these, these bases, they create jobs. Like, okay, yeah, they do, but they also, all of that money could be spent, and there are studies proving this, you know, all of that money could be spent creating jobs that last longer, provide better benefits and quality of life for the people working on them, don't put their entire state at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that the Green New Deal has done a really good job messaging around, right? Because so many of these places, like, I get it. You know, you don't want to lose 60,000 jobs or however many jobs that provides. But if you look at a place like Los Alamos National Lab, you see that that lab brings a lot of money to that specific county, whereas the surrounding counties are still typically in poverty. And if you look at the makeup of their staff, pretty much all of the higher paying management jobs are they're almost all entirely men, but they're almost all white men as well. So the argument at the end of the day is like it does provide good jobs for a specific subset of people that probably don't already live in that area and are going to come there for that specific job. And if it leaves, they will too. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. I feel like that's oh, that's a red flag anytime somebody's like, no, what about the jobs? For some reason, there's always, like right after that, like, oh no, you're just being greedy or racist or whatever. Like, it's never that much of an issue, you know, with like, like the energy for their, you know, oh, we need crude oil and we need to do these things because if not, we're going to lose the jobs. And it's like, well, there's probably like way more jobs we can have if we invested in, you know, modern and cleaner energy. But right. And it doesn't help that, you know, the senators and representatives from those states are also getting a lot of money from that iron triangle that we talked about and these same defense contractors. Damn that iron triangle. So do things need to be modernized or is that purely the result of iron triangle like lobbying? Like do they th- do they need to be modernized in order to make them safer or in order to make them, you know, less likely to have some kind of catastrophe or is it really just these people are lobbying because they want to be able to make more get more government contracts and make more money? So that's kind of hard to answer um without sounding biased, right? Of course. Um <laughs> I think at the end of the day, the problem is that we are not able to get the research done to see whether or not they really need to be modernized or not. Wow. Um, when we have tried to have like these studies done in the past, um, I can't remember the exact representative, so I won't name and shame. They were a Democrat, though, um, and they said it was unpatriotic to question the size of our nuclear arsenal. Wow. So even like getting the answers on whether or not that's needed can be really hard. Um, And there's an independent group of researchers called the Jason Group, um, who've also just been suffering like lack of funding and stuff. Um, So even their work has been harder and harder to do. Um, At the end of the day, I think, you know, arguments could be made that we do need to modernize the intercontinental ballistic missiles. Arguments could also be made that we can get rid of them entirely and save the money that we would spend on modernizing them. Yeah. Um, (laughs) There's another missile, though, that the Biden administration is moving forward with. Um, It's called the Sea Launch Cruise Missile, or Slickum. And Obama retired it almost a decade ago. Trump came along and said, hold on, you took my toy away, give it back, and put it back into production. So it goes back into production this year, 
unless Biden does something to stop that. And it doesn't look like he's going to right now. Jeez. Wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, that was going to be my question. What you what you touched on, Tristan, which is why? Uh, why aren't we moving towards getting rid of them? I mean, I, I just see the numbers randomly when I'm sorting through the news of like, oh, now we're going to spend another four billion on this jet that, you know, has missile launching capabilities. And it's like, can't we end homelessness first? Or, you know, like we're all suffering for the pandemic and I have to wake up and read about the billions of dollars going to a new nuclear whatever the hell. Yeah, absolutely. It's it has been called a second Cold War arms race. And that's kind of what it feels like, because, um, you know, if you look at global stockpiles, the United States has about. 3,800 usable nuclear weapons. We have roughly 2,000 in retirement. Russia has a few hundred more than that, maybe. Um, and then the next person down the line is China, and they only have 320. Only. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's still enough. Um, according to a study by Alan Robach, it, only 100 nuclear weapons would cause a nuclear winter. So China's small stockpile of 320 would still cause a decades-long global famine, but at the same time, Russia and the U.S. are sitting on just massive, massive stockpiles. And to me, but, it really... But oh, sorry, okay. sorry, I apologize for interrupting here. Why, why do we have thousands of nuclear weapons? What Seems like it's more that? than enough to end all life on Earth easily yeah that seems so stupid so some of it's the sunk cost fallacy right but the really big overarching thing is we have to be the strongest most ready most capable military force on the planet for some reason i'm not sure why i did not agree to that um <laughs> no. when i was born but that's really what it comes down to whenever you're arguing with someone about lowering this stockpile is the everyday person doesn't want to be perceived as, um, you know, unable to contend with a global threat. And I, I use that broadly. I'm not talking about individual listeners. Um, the general like consensus of the public is that, yes, we all agree nuclear weapons are a problem. We should probably get rid of them, but we don't want to get rid of them all because we still want to be able to defend ourselves. And when you start pushing for answers from them on like, okay, well, what does that look like to you? People shut down. Nobody feels like they have the agency to do anything to change any of this. And it stops us from having those conversations sometimes. That's, and I don't want to insult anybody, but I'm going to say it, massively stupid. <laughs> I cannot understand that mindset at all. Um, but I don't know. I guess that's the situation we're stuck in because of, people in the 50s i'm not sure is there like plausible solutions this is always my solution we just did an episode about uh plastic uh pollution in the ocean and so my solution for that was to launch all of our plastic into the sun and now i don't know if that works i have no proof on that uh but is that something we could do with nuclear warheads do you uh, or do you have a petition going right now to send nukes to the sun I might be able to whip that up by the time this airs. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I don't think sending to them to the sun would exactly work. 
<laughs> Damn it. Mostly because I feel like it might hurt the sun, you know? There's sure. there's over 1500 of these we'd have we to get that. rid of. So, I don't know, maybe we can disperse them to a couple of other planets too. We like the sun. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need Jupiter. There you go. There you go. Let's get rid of Jupiter. So, we have some ideas. Um <laughs> There is a uh, treaty in the United Nations right now called the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, um, which basically says that everybody has to get rid of all of their nuclear weapons. And that was recently ratified. Uh, the problem is that none of the nuclear armed states signed on to the treaty. Mm-hmm. So we're wow. keeping our nuclear weapons. Um, so our group, Beyond the Bomb, what we're trying to do is make some smaller steps. And I think a really important one that we're working towards first is a policy called no first use. So essentially what we saw in the movie, if we had retaliated prior to waiting to see if that strike had landed, the United States would have been the one to start the nuclear war. Right. So a policy like no first use makes it our set in stone policy that we won't launch a nuclear weapon as a first strike. So right there you are you cancel some of those like miscalculation decisions. You get rid of the insane president possibility. There's no you know chance of like hacking. It cancels so many of these other you know terrible possibilities. There are ways that we could make that a reliable promise to our allies. We could do things like take our weapons off of hair trigger alert. We could maybe instead of building two new types of weapons start getting rid of some of them. There are lots of ways that we could convince people we're serious about this. But since we are the first country to ever use a nuclear weapon, it really is on us to take some of these bigger steps towards creating a more peaceful planet. So what's the argument in support of first use? If, is it that, oh, uh, they could, you know, uh, you know deca- not decapitate us, but they could quickly hate all our most important places if we don't go first and then we're just done and can't retaliate? So it's sort of like that. Um, and the irony is that argument is already like blown away by the existence of ICBMs because mm-hmm. we have a use it or lose it mentality with those um, right now where if we sense an incoming strike, we are more likely to use them in retaliation to prevent them from being attacked. Um, and a president has seven minutes to make that decision. So it's not like they have a lot of time to think it over. Um, but the larger argument that I hear against no first use, and I hear this from representatives and people on the street, is that it's giving our position away to the enemy and that we don't want to take anything off the table. Oh, my Lord. And to me, I just, I would love to hear the answer of when a nuclear strike should be on the table. Right. What to you is enough that we should strike someone else with a nuclear weapon causing catastrophic climate impact to the entire planet killing thousands of people like explain this to me and ruining that city for for years and years to come i mean that's the part that to me makes no sense it's not like you're just uh uh, bombing a you know a military outpost these things are meant to destroy a a large landmass, and then no one can you know safely live there for god knows how long afterwards right right i mean it was you know, the 80s, when the the message, the only winning move is not to play, was right. the message of this movie. And we're still arguing about whether or not that's the case. 
Yeah, War Games figured it out a, a while ago. Yeah. We talked a lot about human error, but I do wonder what is the role of of AI or, you know, computers as as shown in War Games in reality? Because I know there's campaigns against, quote unquote, like killer robots, uh, which would be, you know, automated drones. How much of our nuclear strike cap- uh, capabilities are automated, if at all? Yeah, so this is interesting. Um, and as a side note, Reagan really loved the movie War Games, um, partly because he was an actor and he was really involved with Hollywood, um, but he had also been using the the phrase, a nuclear war can never be won, so must never be fought for at least a year. Um, But it was the movie War Games that prompted Reagan to start a special investigation into creating a cybersecurity branch of defense, (laughs) um, which I just think is so typical for Reagan. It's a yep. very Reagan story. Classic Reagan. <laughs> he was, it's rare that I say appreciative things about Reagan, but he did okay on the nuke front. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so as far as how the AI goes, it, like I said, we moved not too long ago, like from floppy disks to cassette tapes to they recently moved off of cassette tapes. Um, I wow. work with someone who retired from the Air Force just a couple of years ago, and they let him keep one of those retired cassettes as a souvenir. Wow. I'm really hoping he gives it to me one day. <laughs> yeah, what's on there, Mariah Carey? I I don't know. We'll find out. Um, the gentleman who, who created Beyond the Bomb and another organization called Global Zero, Bruce Blair, um, he was a Minuteman missile year, so he sat in those silos, and he's actually the one that called the whistle on the fact that one of the launch codes was zero 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 zero. Oh man. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the first thing anyone would guess, let alone a computer. Right. So, I mean, our cybersecurity uh, has obviously hopefully come leaps and bounds. Um, but just last year, you know, we saw a cybersecurity attack that really shook us. Luckily, they didn't go for the, you know, nuclear launch parts. But it's not out of the question, and um, it is something that I think that we c- should be spending more money on than modernizing our nuclear weapons. You know, we're not responding to the modern threats. We're holding on to these Cold War relics. So Matthew Roderick's character in War Games, guessing the guessing the password being the the inventor's uh, d- d- dead son, that's not that far off. Could, that he just was able to guess it that easily. Yeah, that's way more complicated actually than <laughs> yeah. zero, 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 zero. To look through microfiche or whatever. Right, and and the computer would not have had the time to learn through tic-tac-toe if the codes had been zero 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 because the computer would guess that right away. Saved by Bruce Blair yet again. Jesus. Yeah, that seems like a, uh, it's like a Mel Brooks movie. The password is like one, two, three, four, five. I think it's space balls. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, uh, yeah, unbelievably accurate because uh, we're, we're terrible. We're terrible in a lot of ways, but I feel like nuclear weapons has got to be one of the top terriblenesses of the U.S., especially when there's so many people that need help in so many ways, different infrastructure, and and this is what we're going to spend money on, billions and billions of dollars. It just, I feel like if it was out in the conversation on the news every day, I, I just can't imagine that that something wouldn't get passed to change it. It's like, it, it seems like common sense. It's wild to me. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring it into the conversation a little bit more. Um, 
we do like more fun stuff, I think, to try and bring it up. Um, last Valentine's Day, we gave out condoms that said every year millions of Americans are at risk from unsafe nuclear policy. <laughs> um, and it's just stuff like that, trying to get people to talk about this a little bit more. Because yeah. if we're not talking about it, we're not solving it. We're letting you know, those billionaires just keep making billions more dollars making weapons of mass destruction. And we kind of think of it as far off or something from movies, but we in you know late 2019, no one was thinking like, oh, the new new reality is going to be a pandemic. We also thought that was just a, a, a silly scenario. Right, right. And then, yeah, here we are unprepared. Before we go, I, I had to ask, there's a point in this movie where David's dad asks Jennifer if she knows what tumulus means. And she doesn't know, and he doesn't know. Do you guys know? I actually don't off the top of my head, and I feel like that doesn't come back. I remember that scene, and then that never comes back up. (laughs) It does not. (laughs) So I'll admit, until I watched it with the captions on, I thought he was saying cumulus. Like a cloud. (laughs) Yes, so I really, I don't know. (laughs) It's an ancient burial mound, so I guess. Naturally, that makes sense. Yeah, tumulus, um... If you're trying to, if you if you're out in the middle of the desert and your friend dies and you put some, uh, f- you know, stone on top of him, then you've made a tumulus, and now you know. Oh, Interesting. Okay. I wonder what if that's a you know uh, supposed to be hinting at like the the grave of humanity or something after the things go wrong. I think you're giving them too much credit, but that is <laughs> very kind of you. Okay, well, I'm sure we can find. Uh, another movie that uh, that has to do with this topic or or just the, the Cold War in general. Sorry to do the self-plug, but if people want more information on our current nuclear situation, we also have a full interview with the head of the Nuclear Threat in, um, Initiative, Joan Rolfing, uh, and she tells us a lot about what's going on uh, just because it's purely what we focused on for, for an hour. So a little bit more of that if anyone's interested. Uh, yeah. Just search Joan Rolfing who is, and we, we've, got a, we've got a nice little inter- interview on that. Excellent. Well, this is the kind of the plug section anyway. So, so Sean, who is uh, excellent podcast? Everybody needs to listen, subscribe to that, uh, especially to that episode in particular, which I'll be listening to. Anything else you want to tell people about or where they can find you? We're about to finish up our third season, so there's two episodes, uh, two full seasons you can binge, and going to be a, th- a third one, so that's, you know, 32, f- 48 episodes, lots of really good stuff. we got episodes on Rebecca Mercer coming out, Pete Buttigieg, and the concept of inherited wealth, why wealth just keeps getting passed down and what that means for everyone else. Nice. I assume it's not good. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not good for anyone, <laughs> except for the people inheriting the money. Right. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, that's called Who Is. Uh, Definitely check that out. It's excellent. Uh, Sean does an incredible job. And and thank you once again for coming on the program. I really appreciate it. Thanks for Um, having me. Yeah. Tristan, uh, people should go to beyondthebomb.org. Uh, I presume and uh, and help you guys out uh, join the join the fight yeah join the bomb squad we call our volunteers the bomb squads you already get to join a cool club Um, but if you have the time to listen to this then you have the time to go click a couple buttons send some emails to your representative Um, yeah check us out we we need as many people as possible bothering the people in charge to start to change this Yes, very well said, and and thank you as well for for watching the movie, coming on the show, talking to me about this, and hopefully uh, we can get together again, the three of us, and and talk about some other sort of uh, 
terrible mistakes our country's making. <laughs> There's a long list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have plenty of time, plenty of topics. Um, thank you both. Like I said, and uh, bye bye. Bad Science is a seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. The executive producer is Brett Kushner, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver, but it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.